podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Friday show. It is a pleasure, as ever, to be here. Uh, joining us to sing Old Lang Syne here are Robbie Scotcher, Rich Hobbs and James Roach on the blower. And we've got L- Luke Davis, Beth Lindup and John Gibbons with us. I forgot not to speak in the intervening period between Christmas and now, uh, which is a real shortcoming given the whole job thing. Anyway, we'll do the eight before the turn of the year, the 30th and the 31st. Eight games are played. We will rattle through them. But before that, I want to talk a little bit about the injuries thing. John, there's so many of them, and this is why I've got limited sympathy now with managers pointing out that they've got a lot of injuries because I feel like every manager can now point out they've got a lot of injuries. Everyone's got a massive injury list. I just did review extra on uh, Spurs-Brighton, or Brighton-Spurs more accurately, and the the injury table for both of these sides is absolutely massive. It has a big impact on the selections that both managers make. And then I just sort of looked at everyone. <laughs> you, click the, you click the table and everyone has got so many. And then within that, I think managers are trying to manage fitness and legs as part of all of that. And I've got massive sympathy for them on the one hand, but there are no special cases. No one is a special case at this point. Everyone's got a big injury list. That is correct. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't think managers are necessarily trying to make it a special case, though, from what I've seen. I think, you know, managers get asked to talk a lot, and, you know, That's some of it's fair. after games, and some of it's before games, and things like that. And if you're looking for an explanation explanation of why you're sort of not playing better, and you've got a lot of injuries, I think it is natural to sort of say, and, you know, we've got all these players out. And I think, you know, it's not just the, the fact that, you know, you're missing key players or stuff like that. I think, you know, you, you can't rotate, and so and so you, you get all the tiredness and, and other injuries as well. And I think, I think managers are just looking at it, and and when they're asked and are thinking, and and fans as well. You know, if we're not playing well, what would make us feel better? And a natural place to to, to jump is if we, if we have more players available. So I think, I think there is a bit of a difference between sort of using it as a valid reason that. That's fair. That, that a team aren't playing better because there's there's maybe a lack of balance or lack of cohesion or just you know a player who makes you tick isn't isn't available. But where where it does sort of fall down, like you say, Neil, is that if you if you're looking at it as as, as kind of a you know a, an excuse or a kind of a well we can't what could we possibly do? We've got all this because everyone has has got it, and also it's probably partly caused by you know the intensity of the schedule but that's not going anywhere in fact they're adding more competitions never mind games and so I think how squads and managers cope with it and and it's from top to bottom is is going to be really interesting I think over over the next couple of years and and obviously you know bigger squads is 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 a solution but you know that that brings problems as well not least sort of financial ones and so I think teams are going to have to find a way because, like you say, it used to be like, oh, you know, you point to two or three teams at, at, who had really bad injury, you know, situations, and now it's two or three who haven't. It's, it's sort of flipped the other way, really. I'm pretty convinced it is the schedule, but as the schedule's not going anywhere, they're going to have to find solutions. The, the schedule, Beth, but I think also the schedule is now a year-on-year problem. I think this is, for instance, why Newcastle and Manchester United have found it hard. Both have more strenuous seasons last season than they may have expected. That then flips into becoming a more strenuous season this season because they, 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 they went further, uh, ended up in, your, in in both cases with European football as well thrown in. And sorry, Neil, the exact same thing happened last year. So the teams who had the, the tougher ones the year before, Liverpool, Chelsea, West Ham, all fall off a cliff. 
So I think that it's a year-on-year problem that these these clubs end up having. It isn't as simple as how it's going this year. It's now season-on-season. Season. There is this accumulated fatigue that's hitting a lot of these players. Yeah, absolutely. It just sort of piles up, doesn't it? And, you know, going back to, to last season, you obviously had the World Cup in the middle of the season, players jetting off to... To Qatar, was the Qatar, Qatar, it was Qatar, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Long so time ago now. Yeah. Um, for, for the World Cup, and now, you know, looking ahead to next month, we've got a number of Premier League players going off to, to AFCON, going off to the the um, to Asia as well. So it is, like you say, it just builds up and builds up and builds up, doesn't it? And it, the frustrating thing is it, it's not, it's not going to change, really. And, you know, Jurgen Klopp is... Probably one of the biggest advocates, isn't he, for for the fixture change, the the schedule changing, and and the fixture congestion being eased a little bit. But ultimately, it's a product, isn't it? And it's a you know, as long as there's going to be the demand there, then. And we've all loved having yeah, footy on telly it, every day. It's been fantastic. <laughs> that, that's the thing, and you, you, it is so difficult um, because you, you need to find that right balance. But I think we're at a point now where it's almost like past the point of no return. I, you know, I can't really see. Um, and we was just saying to, to Neil, it feels it's been a bit, bit weird this year because, you know, obviously Liverpool have had a, a six-day break between the, the last fixture and, and the next fixture, um, which feels feels weird, doesn't it, at this yeah. time of year? You're usually playing every two, three days. So um, I don't really know what the solution is, but I think this season, <laughs> more than any other, I've really sort of noticed sort of across the league, every single team does seem to be having some sort of mini injury crisis. So I just want to run through some numbers because it isn't just the ones who've got the accumulated fatigue as well, Luke. Bournemouth have got eight out uh, as it stands. Not that it's stopping them. They're the best team in Europe. More on that to come uh, with James Roach. Villa have got eight out. Brentford have got nine out. Uh, a couple of these, there's a suspensions dropped in. I've just got the raw numbers. Chelsea have got ten out. They've got no European football this season. They've also got loads of footballers, so God knows. Could be out with anything. Uh, shopping. Uh, <laughs> possible. Luton have got six out. Uh, currently Newcastle have got nine out Sheffield United have got eight out Tottenham no European football they've got nine out it, it goes both ways it is just a reality on the one hand I take John's point managers are asked questions and they do need to give answers on the other and then I think you also get to see it in some substitutions at times There's, uh, I think you got to see it for instance in Everton's selection decision he, he doesn't go with Calvert-Lewin he does go with Beto because he's trying to manage Calvert-Lewin through and he possibly feels like Wolves is more winnable which I don't think we'd, any of us would argue with Managers are in in this in this setup all the time. The players are though. The numbers do tell the story that there are huge numbers of injuries. I take everyone's point that the schedule is intense. Obviously, we we enjoy the television coverage, especially over Christmas. But this isn't anything new. It's not like we're hiding the fixture schedule from the managers at the start of the season, from from the recruitment teams at clubs. They all know it's going to be intense. So maybe instead of spending like a hundred million on one player, for example, Arsenal with Timber, spend big money on him. But if you, if you get three players in, in that position, maybe then, going forward in the season, yep. like there's more strength as a squad. Because I think now, I think Michael Owen said it on a podcast the other day, it's not about, or obviously it is about your footballing ability, but it's about how far you can run, how quick you are and how strong you are. And you see that, especially with the intense fixture schedule, that's becoming more important. Like you see Everton, we're not the best team by any stretch of the imagination, but we've only got three injuries at the moment. They're a very fit team and we win some games, I think, down to that. Whereas, we're not, of course, we're not the best team, but everyone looks for excuses when things go wrong anyway. Like Newcastle, yeah, they've got a big injury list, but 
would Eddie Howe be saying the same things if they were still third and fourth in the league? I don't think he would. Do you think, though, where it ends up, John, is that it will end up, I think, getting closer. It's interesting that City, you know, City have won the treble. And when, when you actually look at City's squad, they do not have that many players. Mm. And that's what the manager wants. Uh, I think he backs the fitness of the ones he's had. I think that's maybe wobbled a couple of times in the first part of the season. Maybe it won't in the second part. Maybe that City will come back strong. But do you feel as though the direction of travel here is going to be much more of a nailed on 25 for everyone? Because that's what I think. And that's actually think I think that's a direction that Klopp's been going in. I think it's a direction Arteta's been going in. That we will get closer and closer to the idea of finding a way and being able to say to your 25, you're all going to get chances because yeah. you're all going to get injured. No, I think that is that is the the way it's going to go, and, it, and it's interesting here to Luke to sort of talk about that, you know, you know, rather than throwing all your eggs in the one basket and then the the basket breaks uh, before the game's even even played. In in the case of a uh, of Port Timber, um, you know, it's 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 a situation, you know, where you're able to say, well, well look, there's there's, there's there's good coachable players knocking about, you know, in in world football, and so 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 get them in, you know, get one to sort of suit how we play and. And being able to rotate from a point of view of, of freshness, but also to allow them to play as intense as what you want them to. Like you know, the the game is quicker now, and it, I, I completely take Luke's point on the schedule has always been there, and, and you know what it sort of it is. But you know, I couldn't believe how fast that Tottenham Brighton game was. You know, yesterday I'm sort of watching it and thinking, like ten years ago, you'd have been like ringing people, going, "Have you seen this game?" <laughs> like honestly, you know, it'd be, it'd be that sort of thing. Whereas. Whereas you know you're watching it last night and it, and, it, and it's just fairly well not quite normal you know it was it was, it was you know particularly quick game but you know the, the way that the managers want to play the way the teams want to play are not just at the very top but you know Tottenham and Brighton will, will finish you know somewhere between sixth and tenth won't they but but the, the style of football that they're playing is you know it's unbelievable really and so I think that you know the, the the extra injuries the schedule but also what managers are demanding of the teams. Throughout the league, I think it's a go all points to sort of you know to bigger squads and, and how they're being managed and, and and recruitments you know slightly adapting maybe as well. Uh, okay, uh, half twelve, first one up of the next batch is Luton versus Chelsea. Luton, they've got the one big win against a big club. I thought they'd get a minimum of over the course of the season. Newcastle done. Um, Chelsea slightly stitched. Uh, one day less recovery. Uh, Beth on this one. I, I feel like Luton will be rubbing their hands together. This couldn't have fallen that much nicer for them. Um, I'm not going to say something as mad as, and you fancy them now to get another big win because they're very much second best against Sheffield United. They're a side that are just fighting for their lives every single time they take to the pitch. But I don't think this could have fallen that much nicer for them against Chelsea. No, I, I, I always felt, to be honest, coming into this season that... Luton will get a couple of, of big wins at Kenilworth Road, especially, you know, it's proved sort of against us near enough, didn't it? Obviously, Diaz saves saves the day with a, a last-minute equaliser, but, um, you know, it is a it sounds like such a cliche, but it is a difficult place to go. And I think certainly at the minute, they, they seem very emotionally charged, obviously, with what's happened to the captain, Tom Lockyer, and um, that's almost given them an extra incentive to, to fight, hasn't it? And um, and yeah, they did ride the luck against Sheffield United. So and, much luck I mean, to ride. Like it, it <laughs> sort of was like um, it was like that Leicester game that, that Liverpool had last year when they got two own goals in, in the one game. It was it's um, play yeah. well first half as well though is what yeah, I would they, say. They yeah, did. I watched that one. Yeah, they, they took the lead, didn't they? In that, yeah, in yeah. that game, and they, they did probably deserve to. And then after that. Um, it was second half where it's all a bit mad. Yeah, yeah but first half they play they play well at all. Um, but they've got some players that you know maybe. Sounds a bit harsh, but are maybe sort of outcasts from other teams in in the Premier League, but are actually 
playing, you know, pretty well. Well, Townsend was a free free chance. Yeah. He, was, he, he didn't have a footy club. He didn't have a job yeah. in the summer. And, and he's come in and I thought he played well against Liverpool, albeit he was knackered because yeah. he'd not had a job for a few months. Um, but, but you know, players like that, yeah. And Ross Barkley as well. I mean, I think a lot of people probably wrote him off. and um, But he's been superb for them it's double edged I think Beth with them where they've got the lads who've come through with them so someone like Alfie Doughty it's a second season he'd sort of bounced around a couple of places and they look like they're getting the very best out of him uh, whenever I see him I think he's a, he looks like a real footballer and you know you look at his career up to this point and there's nothing that much that suggests that that'll be the case couldn't really get his game at Stoke did a couple of non-league loans came through originally at Charlton, but suddenly he looks like this suits him. And then you've got Barkley, where it feels like Barkley's just enjoying himself, mm. enjoying the competition, enjoying his own quality that he gets to display, the fact that he's the main man. And it is that sort of, what they've managed to blend is those two different types of players, ones for whom it's the opportunity of a lifetime and ones for whom, no, I can I can show that I was more than you ever thought I was. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think they've got quite a nice balance in that squad. And, I sort of think if, if any, I do think they will go down, but I think out of the, the newly promoted teams, I think if I were to put my money on any team staying up, I just think Luton look like they've got a little bit about them that I just, I, I still, like I say, I still think they'll go down. But um, but I think the thing with Chelsea as well is you just don't know which Chelsea's going to turn up on the day, do you? And, and it could change half by half. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I watched the, the Wolves game and I mean, Chelsea obviously were, were dominant in terms of how much they had the ball and chances. Obviously, Sterling had that huge chance where he, probably should have squared well definitely should have squared it um but I think I think Nkunku is a, is a difference maker for them I was mm. impressed with him obviously he got his goal didn't he when he came on on his, on his debut against Wolves and um he looks obviously Chelsea's big problem has been finding a, a centre forward hasn't it and whether he'll be sort of an, a, a centre forward for them or, or not I'm not sure but I, I think he's he's a good player and I think he could you know maybe make them a little bit more clinical the I think with the, the Chelsea problem, Luke, has been what it's all meant to finally look like. And I thought there was a little bit you got to see against Palace. It was no surprise to me. I thought Jackson looked the most like a footballer he's looked close to in Cuckoo. Um, you know, I thought for the first time he looked like a proper player up there. You could see what it's meant to be. And in the end, he has hard lines because he gets the goal disallowed. It's a good finish in there. Uh, but it's a very, very tight offside. I think in Cuckoo could be a bit of a difference maker for Chelsea. The only problem is they themselves have just got so many other holes when you catch them and it's very, very odd. They shouldn't have that many holes and then you watch them for, for an hour and you go, hang on, that doesn't look quite right and that still doesn't look quite right and, and why is your right back your most important player? What turn of events has that, that come about? There's loads of little bits in there with Chelsea where he still just looks like he's got a bit of work to do. Yeah, they're, they're a bit similar to Man United in that sense. It's like 10 minutes to play well and then they go, well, now we're going to have a ten, another 10 minutes off. It's... Pochettino still doesn't look like he's implementing like a style of play. Like I don't know what you think about this, but when you think like certain teams, you forget they play like that. With Chelsea, yeah. it's like, what are you going to turn up like? I watched a bit of the Palace game, and again, it was like, yeah, they got the win late on, but on another day, that game could have went a different way. It was just a bit, everything's just a bit laboured, a bit lazy. Even the fans aren't that into it. I don't know. It's just, they're like moments, FC. They've got a lot of potential <laughs> as well. But I just think... At a club like Chelsea, he's not going to get the time to like see the the fruit of, of that potentially. It needs to be now, and I think that's something he needs to be worried about. It, it's a funny situation, John, because as I say, I just catch bits and I go, "He looks good. He looks good. That's going well." And then 15 minutes later, they've conceded, but also they've not put the hammer down. I think that's the bit they're sort of missing. They're missing the idea of building on 
to Luke's point, a good ten minutes. They can't build the next ten minutes on top of it, and I think that that's I think that's still going to take a little bit of time. But that's you know you've got a lot of young players in there, a lot of players who don't know the ropes. There's just inconsistency everywhere. But it isn't just game to game. It is almost like block or play to block or play. But I think it's exactly what you you've, you've analysed there. Though is it, it's young players. They're not used to playing together. Do you remind me of watching Southampton last season? Like Southampton, obviously the the they're better than Southampton because they've got better footballers. But Southampton, you're looking at them in the summer thinking, oh, they might, they might do all right here. You know, you're looking at the profile of players they signed and then you look at individuals um, and then you look at them in moments, like they'll have a great 10 minutes, you know, against someone. They got some great results last last season, Southampton, but then they went down because yeah. ultimately, you know, you need some grown-ups on a footy pitch who just know what to do at key times. And so when a game, game turns, right, this is what we do to get out of this situation or... You know, like like Luke says, a style of play that you can fall back on. You know, when things aren't going right, or you're getting pressed and you're losing it, and you think, well, what do we do in this situation? You know, do we do we pass it out, or do we go long, or or, or what is it that we do? They don't look like sure. They don't look sure of of what they're meant to be doing. They're not sure of each other because they've not played together too much, but they're also not quite sure of themselves because they haven't got that experience. It's the, the team against Palace is the, is the is the youngest in in, in for the Premier League for the last what four years was it or something like that and. You know, you're looking at it and, it and it sort of all just looks like that. As I say, they just remind me a little bit of Southampton last year where people keep telling me how good these individual players are and then you watch half an, half an hour of them against someone and even like Man City and they'll, they'll rip them apart and you're like, oh, these are great. And then you're like, why are they only on 19 points? <laughs> it's, 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 similar, it's similar to that. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a coincidence. It's, a, it's very, very difficult to build a proper football team in, in, in the way that they've tried to do it. It's why what I give... I give the loop manager a lot of credit for a lot of things this season but what I think he's been good at with the side is, is encouraging it to pick its moments and I think that's why they are dangerous opponents for Chelsea this week because Chelsea and listen it could go the other way Tottenham have three or four great chances early against Luton early in the match Liverpool could do better against Luton it could go we could be looking at this and everyone's going what were you talking about it's Luton nil Chelsea three but if Chelsea don't take those chances when they're on top you do feel like Luton the thing they've done well is pick moments they're playing without fear now and that's a real positive because no pressure on them yeah there? exactly because if they go down they, they've had a good journey but what, yeah I agree with you Luke but what I would say is if you go down on 10 points yeah. then then that's awful and I think they've got to the point now where they can where they can have that attitude of what you've got Luke which is the I think there was a real thing overhanging a few, not just them but but also sort of Sheffield United as well which was that people were chatting you know, record lows here, and I think it's 16, isn't it, that Derby County got, and people saying they might sort of break that, and then they're looking around, you know, none of them have got a win yet, and stuff like that, and thinking, you know, it is fucking hard up here, isn't it? And, and, and I think, just by looking like there's a chance that they might survive, I think has, has took the pressure off massively, and, and now, you know, you know, Beth, you're saying, I still think they'll go down, but, you know, they've, mm. they've, they've, they've got a chance, I think they'll take that, do you know what I mean? Not yeah. necessarily going down, but to being like, I think, you know, being a, t- a 20% the, chance the, the that 15 might point, the 15, Luton are 15 points, 18 games, John. So yeah. you just double that. And if they get 30, they'll probably get more than I would have thought they were going to yeah. get. And I think that that's the pressure that's come off them. That's the Luke's pressure to go off. So you're watching them in, in that Sheffield United game. And, and like you said, I, I loved how it is. He, he was sort of a poor man's Jared Bowen, wasn't he? The way he was playing. I was sort of really into it. And obviously Jared Bowen's my favourite footballer of all time. But, um, <laughs> but you know, he's, he's sort of, I, I loved watching him. I, I like. I think the experience that they've got in is, 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 is just keeping them going at key times. 
you know, and, and, and probably just saying to them, you're a decent team, you know, I think I like that they've stuck with the manager. I don't think it's always the best thing to do, but I think, you know, good. I think it's it's helped in terms of the team spirits and, and giving them the sort of the best opportunity. And they've just got a chance now. They've got a shot, haven't they? And they're playing like they think that they've got a shot, and that's the most important thing. Excellent stuff. Uh, do Crystal Palace have a shot? Robbie Scotcher on the biggest game of the weekend. It doesn't seem like it, but it is. Trust me, Brentford, Crystal Palace is Robbie on Palace. It's John Gibbons for the Anfield Wrap with a partnership courtesy of NordVPN. NordVPN have partnered with us before and we're delighted they are doing so again, not just for their support, but also because they offer loads of benefits to the football fan like yourself. There's lots of benefits to sign up to NordVPN, including, of course, watching sporting events, TV shows or films which aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country which is showing the events. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but a few of our games aren't on telly this season, but they are on TV somewhere, and you can find them by switching your virtual location. That's obviously one of the benefits of a VPN service like Nord, but they are one of the best around, and lots of reasons why, including that they protect your private data, like bank details, passwords, and online identity. Uh, with one click, you're able to switch your virtual location to another country, which also allows you to save money by purchasing flights, hotels, and subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. Now, I do need to point out that the Amphio app subscription is the same price in every country, but others aren't, and that includes hotels and flights as well. So you can have a little look around and see what deals you're able to do yourself there. Uh, personally, for, for me, uh, a big one with NordVPN is knowing that my data is protected when I'm traveling abroad and using public Wi-Fi uh, wherever I am in the world and know that I'm protected from viruses, uh, from malicious malware and phishing sites. It's also the fastest VPN in the world, which is important for what I'm sure you're going to use it from. No buffering or lagging while streaming, uh, which is the last thing you want when you're watching live sports. You want it to be a smooth process, don't you? Especially when you're watching the Reds and... They are able uh, to provide that for you. It is the same price as one cup of coffee a month and your account can be used on up to six devices. So if you want a huge discount of your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash TAW. That is nordvpn.com forward slash TAW. That code will give you four additional months free on top of the two-year plan. And they're also they're that confident that you'll enjoy the service. They'll offer you a 30-day money-back guarantee. So that place to go again is nordvpn.com forward slash T-A-W. The link can also be found in the episode description box wherever you listen. Enjoy, and thanks a lot to NordVPN for partnering with us again. I'm with Robbie Scotcher, and something likely is going to happen here uh, where I'm going to say I feel a little bit sorry for Roy Hodgson. So bear with me, Robbie. He hasn't won a game. Since the, <laughs> since the since the fourth of November, uh, that is the last time Roy Hodgson has won a game. But and this is this is where the the feeling a little bit sorry for him comes in. Um, next game after that one on the fourth of November, Palace were unfortunate to get beat three uh, one by Everton that day. Next game after that, they run into one. I would argue a little bit at Luton Town, where again I'd say they probably are unfortunate on the balance of play to lose that one. Uh, and then from there, uh, in December, they get a creditable one-all at Palace. They run into the the, the mighty Bournemouth, uh, which can happen to us all, what with them being the best team in Europe. I would argue the only game Liverpool have deserved to lose this season is the one against Crystal Palace on the 9th of December. There's then a valiant 2-all draw with Manchester City. There's a one-all with Brighton and Hove Albion, where they get 
uh, played off the park second half, but are arguably the better side first half. And then there's the game against Chelsea that's just happened. Am I am I going soft on Hodgson in my old age, in his old age, or are the legitimate reasons why the Palace supporters feel like they've had enough now? Uh, I think we should just stop the pod there, right? <laughs> <laughs> no more comeback on that. Um, <laughs> look, I mean, the thing is, I think he said it himself last night. Football's about results, and when you're when you don't have a win in that long, and when when everyone around you is doing well and starting picking up points and you're dropping further in it, then, it, you know, questions are asked. But no, you're right. I mean, yesterday is a prime example of actually we played all right. And I can go back over each one of those games and we can bring up things. The Luton game, we lost we lost someone in the – two players in the warm-up. I mean, um, Eze went off the middle of that game. Decore's off injured now for the, like, the rest of the season in that game. We, there's been a lot of things and stuff and a lot of that's football that's happened in a lot of these games, you know, and including we all think we're hard done by by refereeing decisions, but there's a few of them in there as well. I just, I think Palace fans started the season. The thing is, if you end the season the way we ended last year, you, yeah. you come in with a lot of hope and it is the hope that kills you. And we've started the season by saying, well, we're not going to go down this year because it's three teams that are worse, but we're now in a situation where we have kind of fallen to whatever reason, falling into quite a dangerous spot. And um, yeah, we're in a bit of trouble. Yeah, I think I think the in a bit of trouble bit's the truest part of this because the Luton result against Sheffield United, and by the way, the sheer fortune of that result is hard to put into words. I was watching that second half. Sheffield United were murdering them. Absolutely murdering them. And somehow two own goals later, Luton end up with a 3-2 that he can hang on to. But it does put Luton onto 15 points. And I think there was maybe a general sense Luton would be doing well to break 25. Well, they're on 15 from 18. The, the, the rearranged fixture is against Bournemouth. So if Bournemouth stay in the current form, there's no way on earth of winning that. But you've got to look there and say, well, all right, if I'm Luton, I'm looking at Nottingham Forest. I'm looking at Brentford. I'm maybe just maybe also looking at Crystal Palace in there as well and saying, well, we need to finish ahead of one of those three before we get into a complicated Everton question with the appeal we could do with finishing ahead of one of those three and when you say it's about results it is probably the case Forrest have pulled the trigger Palace are the next cab off the rank to pull the trigger Ooh. I mean look at Brentford haven't they lost the last seven out of lost the last eight I think something like that yeah they, it, so Thomas Frank no one's talking about that are they no, no one is. That, but that, and, this is. And, but Thomas Frank's got a lot of injuries. But you're saying that Hodgson's got a lot of injuries as well to Corey I mean, and so on. I mean, I mean, as as he's playing massively injured, as yeah, as not so. fit to play, shouldn't be playing. But he's playing because we're playing Chelsea. and We, we need something. To Corey out, Edward out. Um, <laughs> Henderson's been injured as well. His hamstring's gone. He can't kick a football. But I mean, aside from that. It's, if, if you want to go back to the boring part of it, it starts at the beginning of the year when when the owners don't buy the manager enough players to go through a season. We knew we came into the season light of players. So this, you know, that was always going to happen. But, but part of the other thing is the media thing around it. Of course, it's very easy to just jump on someone's age, which is what they do all the time. And, and what's he doing right? And and also, he doesn't help himself by being moany and whingy in the press because that's, that's his, you know, that's his default position. But, I mean, it's, it's weird. This could be the Steve Cooper derby 
between Brentford and Palace. Like, <laughs> the loser gets Cooper. Do you know what I mean? It's it's there's there's a lot there's a lot that's been going wrong, but there's a lot that's been going good. I mean, against Liverpool, we did well. Yeah, that game against Bournemouth, I mean, I was particularly miserable. But then you watch Bournemouth do this amazing run, and you're like, actually, Bournemouth are pretty decent. Yeah. But then you look around and you go, everyone's having a moment. People have a moment. And and if I was Luton, I'd be saying we we got to drag Palace into this. You got to get Palace into it. Because as soon as you get Palace into it, that's enough teams to cause problems. Yeah, it's 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 it is a worry. This therefore is just a huge game on the thirtieth. It's the three pm kickoff. Uh, that is, I you know, I'm always what's the most significant one. Uh, it is not yeah. Aston Villa at home to Burnley. It is not Manchester City at home to Sheffield United. It's not even Everton going to Wolves. It is Crystal Palace Brentford, isn't it? Because whoever wins will all of a sudden feel like, you know what, we've got a cushion. If if Palace win, they go to 21 points, which would be the same as Fulham. Then it is 21-15 back to Luton, uh, who've got Chelsea first thing in the morning. Maybe Luton win and we're all, we're all kidding ourselves. If Brentford win, uh, then they find themselves up to 22, which suddenly feels like a mid-table sort of situation in there as well. Um, you know, they'll feel a lot better around that one. That is That is what this game is at this point. Yeah, but and again, I think at this point in the season, there's so many points to be won. The question is more about football momentum, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's about building that, and and a lot of the teams around us have that, and that's exactly what we don't. And this is what brings everything into play. If we stop the season right now with Palace's eleven players that we had, with Roy Hodgson as manager, and everybody else having what they have, I'm sorry, I don't think we go down. But as the season moves and changes and the momentum shifts and other teams seem to be doing better than others, people have to try and make reactions. So that's why you get these situations with the manager. I, it, it's such a hard one because the problem about this project at Palace is obviously the next manager has a lot of money to go. You know, we're giving him money to, to start a team. We don't want to be giving that to Roy now. We want to be trying to get him through by getting a few loan players in and doing what we can. But you're right. I mean, you look at the weekend, possibly the most last or match of the day fixture you, anyone ever wants to watch. Every game, every time we play each other is nil-nil or 1-1. One, one. It's always a draw, but this is going to be different on this game. It's going to be at home. I'm, I'm glad it's a three o'clock kickoff. It feels like old-fashioned football a little bit. And, and everyone's going to have to turn up, including the fans, including everyone, because the fan base is weird as well. There's people kicking off about Eze last night. You're just like... Like, what are you going on about? Who are you going to replace yeah. him with? Who's going to go on the pitch? Pe- people are so kind of random about a lot of the stuff of what they say. But it's a lot of noise. And, yeah, I mean, if if you're Roy Hodgson, you start asking the question, is this what you want to be doing? You know, you didn't come back for this. You didn't come back. And it will get easier because the players will come back and you'll have more of a squad to pick. And maybe the, maybe the board will buy you a few players. But the other thing is the Crystal Palace project, the idea of it is to play youth, play young players and bring them through the academy, move them on for money, build up. At the moment with Roy, that's not going to happen because we're in a difficult spot. So instead of bringing Fransa on for IU, it doesn't happen until after a goal. It, instead of playing Armada in midfield, yeah, what we're going to do, we're going to get a centre-back to come and play in midfield, who, by the way, did actually play really well. But he starts making that sort of choice and it becomes of course, yeah. defensive. And it becomes really the sort of football that you don't want to watch. Attritional stand there can we just get through it it's it's 1-1 with 20 minutes to go we're not going to go and win the game we're going to bring on as many defenders as we can 
And that's kind of not what the project was. But then you don't blame. It's like it really is stick or shift. You know what I mean? It's like it's a hard spot. It is a hard spot. Um, he's not got a lot of moves either, is what I would say, <laughs> with the injuries at the minute. You know, I think that there's an argument to maybe take a bit of a risk on Franca uh, a little earlier, either in games or even let him start one at some point. But apart from that, his options are not absolutely massive looking at the bench. Do you think it'll be any markedly different uh, for this one coming up? Or do you think he, it's going to be a very, very similar side to the one that, draw, that gets beat 2-1 by Chelsea? That's a very similar side, absolutely. Because the first first thing comes in the mind is you've got to stay in the game. He's not thinking going out there to go and win it. That's just not in his mindset. He's he, he's gonna he's gonna look to keep it tight and then hopefully push on and get those goals when it's important. But I mean, like if you look at last night, um, Chelsea, yeah, Chelsea aren't playing well this season. That doesn't mean Chelsea aren't absolutely packed full of stocks. Literally, hundred yeah. million, sixty million pound players, whether they've overspent or not. You know, for us to even compete with that. And we, I thought, I thought we played well. I didn't think we managed the game well from a certain point. We got to a certain point where we can't make changes, and then he, he made a few changes against Brighton, which changed the game, which gave them the ascendancy. He tried not to do that this time, and it meant that we sat back too far and we conceded a goal. But I, I, I think when it comes to Brentford, you're just going to see a very solid team, and they're going to start not to lose, and then hopefully to pick one up. We're not going to go and suddenly attack Brentford. Okay. Um, give me a prediction. Well, I'm, we're going to win it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's football, isn't it? We're also going to win it. But, it's you know, um, I, I, I think actually we might win it quite convincingly. Um, the only reason being we, we have played well. We have played well. It's not like it's been dire. It will turn. I think this game, it really could. It seems to be set up quite well. Don't get me wrong. I've got a lot of respect for Brentford. I like the fact if you walk around Brentford, you don't see a Chelsea shirt. You don't see a Fulham shirt. You see Brentford shirts. It's a really good, good football club. But I think we're going to beat them. I think it might be 3-0. Excellent stuff from Robbie. Let's get back over. Uh, Robbie there uh, on that massive one against Brentford uh, both looking over the shoulder now got themselves into that position we'll do the, the couple of 3pms quite quickly uh, Villa versus Burnley Luke it's good news for this theoretically uh, for Villa you know they've, they've had the great run great run gets sort of knocked aside then uh, a defeat at Old Trafford that I think will stick in the craw a little bit but that said, Sheffield United will be a spectre that looms large. It was Sheffield United who stopped the run. And I think there's a little thing that happens to sides. At some point, you start getting taken deadly seriously. And also the idea of no one wants to get whacked becomes a thing as well. It stops being we go to Villa, see what we can get. It becomes we treat Villa the way we treat Man City, the way we treat Liverpool, the way we treat Arsenal. And we absolutely defend for our lives from minute one. The thing, though, is that Burnley do not suit defending for their lives from minute one. That is not what they do. And, you know, that's why I do think it is ultimately good news for Villa that it is Burnley up next. Yeah, I think it was always going to come come to an end, that run. But in the first half, certainly at Old Trafford, they battered United. Yeah. It could have been more, to be honest. So, in that sense, we were unlucky then. It was just one of those nights where at Old Trafford it gets turned around, which we don't see that often anymore. But um, the Sheffield United game was one that stuck out. It was just... Another one they were unlucky on another day, 3 1. You have the goal disallowed as well. I think that was in the first half. But they've also been in the Conference League. And I think that's something no one's talking about. Again, fitness. They haven't got a massive squad either. And fitness could be an issue for them too. 
But I think they're going to get brought, brought back down to earth. Everyone was getting a little bit carried away with Villa. I can see why, obviously, because as the table is. But I think they'll drop to fifth, sixth. But I think the Burnley situation, it's a bit of a weird one. Like, no one's really talking about company losing his job. But I think if this was maybe when Deitch was manager of them and he's less trendy and he doesn't wear a cap on the sideline, <laughs> maybe... Um, that cap's doing a lot of work. More than the coaching, some would uh, argue. Maybe you should take it off, it's a bad luck charm. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think a 2 0 Villa, to be honest, I think it's an easy Villa win. Burnley, um, Burnley are just too open at the back. The the Burnley thing for me, Beth, is I think now that they're brought in this far, I, th- I think all, the woman's just got to go all the way, uh, as mad as it is. And I think that, that might be why there's no chat. Maybe Burnley are just saying to everyone, well, we've budgeted for going straight back down. So if he takes us back down, that's fine. You would think there is going. To, there will be at some point some degree of growing frustration, though, because supporters have still got to watch football matches. That's the thing I always come back to. Supporters have still got to go the game. But all of that said, Burnley are hanging in there. It's fourteen defeats in nineteen. The smart money is that it's fifteen and twenty by the time this one's finished. Yeah, yeah, my money would be on Villa winning that fairly comfortably. I mean, obviously, the the scoreline probably flattered Burnley a little bit the other night. I mean, certainly the first half, Liverpool could have been out of sight, couldn't they? And just didn't take the chances and had obviously a couple of goals chalked off. Um, so yeah, I think, but it's a difficult one, isn't it, with with the whole company situation? Because I've I've been like you, I've, I've sort of been like, why has there not been more talk about him going? But maybe the club thinks well. The alternative is bringing in, you know, a, a big Sam type, isn't it, to, to try and keep them up. And they've maybe not got the squad, like we say, to sort of really defend for their lives. And maybe it is better long term for them to keep hold of him, go back down to the championship, rebuild, get a bit more experience in. And that could be then. Because obviously last season they were playing some fantastic stuff weren't yeah. they? In, in the championship, Burnley. And, and maybe that's that's the approach the owners want to adopt. And um, But yeah, I, I can't see past a, a Villa win. Yeah, it's 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 a nice game for Villa, isn't it? We've all said it. I agree with Luke. I think there's more positives from that Old Trafford performance than negatives, really. We watched it together, didn't we, Neil? And I think the thing that impressed me most, not just how they, well they played to go 2-0 up, but how they reacted to each goal going in. And I think if you saw that result on paper, you'd think, oh, well, well Villa, you know, probably played well, and then and then United scored, and then, it, and then it's, it's completely sort of United from there. But it wasn't really. Like, as soon as... United scored the, their first one and their second one. Villa went straight back on the attack, and I was and I was into that. And it shows a lot of confidence in what they're doing. They have a good chance straight after it goes two one, and also at two two, the the sort of straight back at them. You know, should score. Yeah, yeah, he should, he should. Um, so, the, you know, you hope for them. You know, the, the manager will be saying to them, "Listen, you can you can be down about a, a, a result like that, or you can just put it down to one of them. These things happen. The old Trafford effect, like like Luke says, you know, when it does get going, you know, there's a lot of them in there, mm-hmm. uh, and they were determined to sort of get behind the team, and and it, and, and it's just sort of one of them. And, and you know, you, you're almost better if you can remember. And well, you know, we would we the rest aside actually. Do you know what I mean? And 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 yeah, we, we we don't come away with anything, but that happens every every now and again. But the fact that you know we're going to Old Trafford, being the better team, taking the two of them, scoring two goals, could be more. You know, just shows what a good team that they are, really. But you know, just saying that, and then there's 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 bouncing back, and so if you're going to bounce back, it it is barely at home. Like you said, Neil, they're not sort of set up to to frustrate in in particular at the moment. They're, they're set up to 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 try and play, but they haven't got the sort of the quality to do it. You know, it's interesting hearing Beth talk about kind of 
you know, maybe the approach. It reminds me a little bit of what Norwich did with Fark, and they, t- they thought, well, we'll go down, we'll come back up again, and then hopefully we're better equipped. I mean, but that didn't work for Norwich, did it? They just they came up again, and then it just looked exactly the same. So where the company can be any different, I don't know. Everyone says he's very impressive. Um, you know, he's, he's always very, you can see why you see why they want him. He's very impressive. I mean, he's got a good leadership aura, which is doing as much work as the hat. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> the hat ads. Yeah, yeah, like Peter Reid. Uh, Don't start me on Reedy's hat. <laughs> I lost my mind at Reedy's hat. Uh, I presume there's 10 minutes on it later. <laughs> yeah, going to get Luke to talk. Uh, <laughs> more, more than one man can explain. You, uh, you can get in press conferences and stuff now, can't you? Yeah. Like, ask some questions about the hat. <laughs> yeah. Sean Dice looking at you like you're mad. <laughs> it's, it, will, it, it should be straightforward. Um, and it suits, I, I think it sort of suits Sheffield United. It suits Luton, I'd argue. It suits Crystal Palace. It suits Brentford. Possibly Everton, Luke, if. If, if, if the results, you know, it's two defeats, but they're understandable. The two defeats, I think, I think everyone in the league almost is is really wants an Aston Villa win because I think it would suit everyone the sooner that the relegation situation becomes at the very least two from five, uh, rather than this idea that Burnley are a live prospect. I think we spoke early in the season; it might have been August, September time about Burnley that they play fantastic football, similar to what Leicester do now in the Championship, but when, like Norwich did as well a few years back. But when you come into the Premier League, you've got to drop back five or ten yards. And I think he just can't do it. He's just he's so stubborn and they don't have a plan B in games. He just continues to do the same thing and he continues to fail. And I don't, I don't know what point, what where, what month does he get to? But they could be down by April. It's like, what month does he get to? And then when is he going to change the style of play? What can he even change the style of play? If he's not doing it after get, by game 19, he's not doing it, is what he I would say. He has to learn, though, at some point. Yeah, I agree, but it, it's game 19 and they haven't done it, they haven't looked at it. Similar, well, not similar, because Sheffield United have made the change, Beth. They find themselves going to City, they get a point at Villa, they hang on for dear life, they spoil the game. But it's one thing doing that at Villa Park, it's another thing doing that at the, at the Etihad. You feel as though Sheffield United are in for one of you. Yeah, I won't be surprised if it's a 6-0, 7-0. We, I think we've, we've been waiting, haven't we, for, for City to to really click into gear this season and, and put a run together and, and, and start putting teams to the sword. And obviously they had a they had a 2-0 lead, did they, against Palace in the in the last home game and they obviously end up surrendering that and, and drawing the game. So that perhaps gives Sheffield United a little bit of encouragement. I think that goes the other way. Yeah. If I'm if I'm Sheffield United, I'm furious with Palace. Yeah. Furious <laughs> with them because they're trying to rest their city. They were trying to rest and I just don't think and also it, it, there's now a bit of a break till they play in the FA Cup City and I don't think they've got much of a tie because they never do Yeah, I, th- I, I think they're going to be in for 90 minutes of intensive Manchester City I think when you consider I mean because the first half against Everton you know I thought Everton played really really well and, and limited City and players who don't really have off days the likes of Rodri I thought looked you know not poor but not up to their usual standards and then obviously whatever Peps does or says at half time, you know, works a treat and they come out and they were just absolutely fantastic. And when you've got players like Phil Foden, you know, playing to their full ability, full capacity, then, you know, that they were really frightening, frightening team. And it especially sort of, you know, the result last night, the Arsenal result against West Ham and City are now, what, three points behind Arsenal with a game in hand. And I think better yeah. goal difference, obviously only five points behind us again with a game in hand. So, it feels like the stage is set now for City to sort of really come into their own and whether they will, I don't know, but I think this certainly sets them up on, on you know, for, for a good run. Sheffield United got two players booked against Luton Town, neither of whom can now play in this one. McAtee, who's been important to them, Luke can't play because he's on loan from City. Uh, so that's in there as well. Question marks around the goalkeeper, uh, massive question marks around the goalkeeper. 
which you don't want before you go to the Etihad. It's fair to say. Uh, the last thing you want to be doing is giving a gift there. Wilder got a couple of decisions to make. I just sort of feel like Wilder might not want to get embarrassed. And the, 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 I think that's one of the things that did for the previous manager. No one wants to get embarrassed, but I think he'll have a, he'll, he'll really, really be having them defend just the final third uh, for their lives. Yeah, I just think it's a case of sitting in and then if they if City score early, the floodgates open, it's four or five. And then I've seen this that before, Sheffield United haven't scored five games in the Etihad. So that's not looking really prosperous either, is it? And I think they've got players like McBurney up front. He's a, he's a one in three, four if you're lucky striker. I, I, I just think bringing Wilder in, they're preparing to go back down to the Championship already. Uh, last little thing, John. I watched uh, City Everton, Everton City, and there was a lot of praise for Foden. I understand why. Thought Rodri was great second half, but the one who I, I think it's interesting, he doesn't get much chat. And this is also the case when Harlem plays, but Harlem wasn't playing. I thought Alvarez was brilliant second half. I thought his movement was electric. I thought he was involved in everything good. Yeah, he's a very good player. And I wonder whether he's, he has been sort of held back a little bit by the Harlem thing, by, by Harlem's just pure existence and, and, and you know, his. His stature, both both physical and, and sort of metaphorical, you know, within the team, really. I mean, listen, they won everything there was to win last season, so sometimes it's just one of them, isn't it? You know, a, a football club, the way it's run and the way it's set up, can't can't be of benefit to to um, to every player. And if you if you're winning, then then you're winning. But I do wonder whether you know if 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 they hadn't bought Haaland or they'd have bought a different type of striker instead whether we'd be talking even more about Alves every time he steps onto the pitch I, I think he's great there was a, a game last season where we went to City and, and Haaland doesn't play and, and we got ripped apart and Alves is is great in that he is a really good footballer what I think Pep Guardiola is really good at you, we talked before about squads and the fact that the City have got a, a small squad Relatively, in terms of first team players, to to what you'd expect from from a from a team, you know, challenging at the top. And one of the things I think Guardiola is really good at is, it, you know, if sometimes a player will always be frozen out, and, and like Foden was one, like he just you couldn't get a kick at one point. Then now he's he's playing central midfield, and he's central to sort of what they're doing. And there's been countless of those. John you know, Stones as well. Stones, yeah, completely yeah. bombed out. Grealish couldn't get a kick, so then and then he's, he's suddenly City's best player. I've never known an, um, a manager with an ability to do that really for, for, to not pick someone for like two months and then them to come back in and be the sort of the best player and I don't really sort of know kind of like how he does it or or whether it's you know says mo as much about the players obviously it does say a lot about the players that they're able to, to sort of come in because normally if a player gets frozen out then a few months later next chance of a window they're gone aren't they and, and they're gone sort of someone else and listen he's done that as well so with players like Sane or whoever, maybe yeah, maybe yeah, Cancelo's a really maybe arguably Sterling a little bit as well. I don't know, but there's been other players where they just they've just been out, and then that's sort of it. But it's not even like he's he's bringing lads in and out. Do you know what I mean? And and they're, they're doing one week out the next. Like there's, there'll be players who won't won't start for like six weeks, like really good players, and and you're like, oh, is that the end for him? Is you know, does he need to sort of go somewhere else? As I say, Foden didn't appear to me to be to be you know central no pun intended to, to anything at all and now he's he's right in the middle of the pitch pulling the strings and everyone's saying oh you know look this is the this is the sort of the Phil Foden it's it is quite unprecedented listen if anyone could think of any other examples you know of other managers being able to do that then then, then message me I'd sort of love to hear them but like I say like to, to go from you know are the you know is 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 this player's future to, to at, at Man City to to 
being you know a huge a huge part of not just one game but a run of games you know is is i think a a, a lot of the reason why they have been so successful okay excellent uh, here's rich hobbs on wolves joined by rich hobbs from the wolves fan cast to talk about wolverhampton wanderers who continue cracking on a pace it's worth pointing out rich it's three wins from the last five uh a draw and a defeat in there but three wins apart from that and the key thing is three good wins brentford at home an emphatic 4-1 win a deep sorry brentford away a, a home win against chelsea uh in there too slightly blotted copybook with the the whatever happens at west ham but this is a wolf side who just appear to be hitting the straps at this stage of the season they're playing ever so well yeah, they seem to have found uh, a level of consistency in their performances and being able to seize the game and seize those moments in games. And I think that was probably the big difference with the West Ham game is that, you know, there wasn't, apart from three obvious goals, there wasn't a huge amount between the three, between the teams. It was that West Ham had three very big moments in the game and took them and we couldn't quite find ours. Whereas, against Brentford and Chelsea, we took them um, with, with both hands. So it, it seems to all be moving in the positive direction at the moment and particularly reform the last kind of couple of weeks, even without, you know, some of our more dynamic players in Pedro Neto and, you know, bugs and illnesses hitting the camp as well. Uh, there is the expectation that Neto will be back soon. We'll come on and talk about that. But I want to talk about Sarabia, who has been given some opportunities in the side, uh, appeared in each of the last four games after being slightly injury hit, started the season playing regularly as well. He's he's in good form. Yeah, he's someone who doesn't seem to kind of take a whole lot of limelight and there is you know, evidently a player with a lot of technical quality. Um, he it's cliche he does lack some of those slight physical characteristics you kind of need in the Premier League unfortunately that he doesn't have um, that speed or that strength to really impose himself on a game but you know the, the stats kind of don't lie and you know he passes the eye test more often than not as well in terms of you know uh, he, he scores a fantastic goal against Spurs, don't get me wrong, but he also, uh, you know, sets up a sublime goal for the for the second one against um, Spurs as well. And he's kind of quietly, and, you know, he, even last night, you almost, it's almost easy to forget, you know, he puts in a fantastic cross for the first goal. Um, he's very much kind of come in and done a job for us when we've needed him to. He's not the same player as Pedro Neto and I think you know that's no disservice to Sarabia but for a player we signed for less than five million a year ago he's almost he's almost given us our value for money back so that you know arguably in the summer he does get moved on or if he becomes very much a bit part player in the next 12 months we, we've got enough out of him now I um, you know suffice to say I think but yeah he, he's He's coming on. Ha- really happy with how he's kind of um, got on. It's interesting how he was managed uh, this week to get ahead in the game, and the manager precautionarily takes off uh, Huang. Uh, he scored two by the points he goes off with a back spasm, but he, the manager afterwards said he thought he may well be able to play in the game coming up against Everton. He looks after Semedo as well, takes him off on the hour mark, and takes Sarabia off too. Uh, if you know the manager's been doing a lot of managing through this period, he's been really aggressive with his subs. 
Huang has benefited from it as well. He's not played that many 90s, but he's really, really sharp when he's on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, it, his form is it has been light and day um, this season. And to be fair, towards the end of last season and what it was you know, 12 months prior to that. And, um, you know, he's O'Neill's been very tactical, tactical in terms of what he's done with the players because there's very clearly players he doesn't rate and doesn't want to play. But at the same time, he, he knows he needs to give players minutes and give them rest. So whether it's, you know, Wang coming off who, you know, took both of his goals superbly um, or, you know, it's the case that actually he needs to bring off Kuna with 15 minutes left to go because he's the only one he trusts to lead line for the majority of the game. Um, or, you know, he'll switch it round where he can. Um, you know, there's talk of bringing additional reinforcements in January to compensate that. But I think it's interesting what he's doing with certain players. You're saying, it's, you know, likes of eight Nori as well. And, yep. you know, but some, of the, some of those players are those ones. And particularly Huang, gets niggling injuries and eight noise just off the back of, you know, a few weeks out with um, with an injury. And if we've got the ability to rest, rotate them, not risk them for extra half an hour if you don't need to, you benefit in the long run. And it doesn't always kind of necessarily show up in, in stats and things like that. Last one is is to discuss Neto. Uh, Bellegarde comes on at the weekend and, and, and gets a goal. But Neto is obviously, in a number of ways, the star man. But he has him on the bench there against Brentford. It's 4-1, and he, he chooses not to use him. It suggests this, that he's going to be bringing him back pretty slowly. We're probably looking the other side of the third round of the FA Cup for a start for him. It looks to me like O'Neill is desperate to do everything he can to take care of the player. Yeah, I think the fact that we have got points and wins on the board without Neto... It, has kind of enabled us not to rush him back. And it's the first time he's appeared in the squad since his injury. I was slightly surprised not to see him get 10 minutes out at the end, but I also completely get that it would effectively just be a token at that point. Mm-hmm. And it would arguably do a disservice to the likes of Bellegarde. Um, also, we would not quite get the tactical setup that he, that he truly wanted. Um, but, We've still kind of got two games in the space of 10 days now. We've got, you know, Everton in the league and then Brentford again in the cup. So there's still kind of a couple of opportunities that if he wants to give him half an hour, 45 minutes plus, we've got those options. So it's not like, um, you know, he's going to be waiting on the bench for too long. And, you know, it will it, be a shame for one of those forward players. But Neto is so far beyond him in terms of what he brings to the team. As soon as he can't, Builds up to full fitness, he he will be straight back in that starting lineup. Um, Everton then is the the game on Saturday, uh, five o'clock. Sorry, three o'clock kickoff uh, at Molyneux. It would I feel as though Wolves will want to end the calendar year with a with a little bit of a flourish. A win will probably uh, see them move into the top half. I would have thought uh, level on points with Chelsea anyway as it stands. And I think there's a there's a general sense, isn't there, around Molyneux that this this is a side that should be challenging for the top half. Um that can look at itself at coming tenth or higher this season. Yeah, I think um some of the misnomers around walls of and the perceptions have changed in terms of us being a side that doesn't concede goals and um you know, doesn't necessarily have a 
expansive style of play. You know, neither of those things are kind of particularly true at Molyneux now. And yeah, yeah, the clean sheets aren't there, but we there hasn't really been a game so far this season where I've not thought we could score. And when you've got that mentality, you sort of always feel like you're gaining towards getting a point or getting a win. Whereas under Large and Lopetegui, if you're wondering where you're going to get a goal from, you're only going to get a draw at best. And that's quietly just propelled us up, up the table. And it is still densely compact in this sort of middle to bottom half. Look, look at how, um, you know, Luton have kind of progressed and even likes of Bournemouth as well. Um, kind of pushed on as well but they've not necessarily moved up a whole amount of places because we're all kind of competing for that same um, slice of pie. With Wolves though, it feels that we've got those players now in goal scoring positions. The fact that Wang's um, got to double figures in the Premier League, Kuna will be on double figures this season. If Pedro Neto continues the form he was on from you know first 13 games of the season, we could have three players with double figures which is unheard of for Wolves. Um, and I think if you've got players who are getting those amounts of goals in abundance, you're going to fi- find yourself in the top half of the table because it sounds bad when I say it, but there's a lack of quality or there's everyone at the sim- similar quality at the moment. So all we need to do is just have that nth percent more. And I think we've sort of uh, sort of got it now. Um, last thing, Dennis, give me a prediction for this one against Everton. Yeah, 1-0 Wolves. 1-0 Wolves, there we are. Not been a ton of clean sheets, but we're going to get one there at Molyneux, uh, 3 o'clock <laughs> on Saturday. Thanks to Rich, let's get over. Great stuff from Rich. We'll move forward into into Everton, Luke. Feels like the end of a run, this. And, and it, I mean, it's quite a long run, run of about sort of eight games. I think the Crystal Palace one, we've got you on next week, I think, for Friday's show to build up to that. It's Thursday night, which, by the way, catches anyone who's scheduling podcasts by surprise. Uh, but within that one, there is a, there is you know I think that's almost a little bit of a standalone because then there's a break until the next Everton game in there, and I think the manager will be unbelievably satisfied with what he's seen over the course of the run. The results obviously haven't been perfect; very few clubs ever get that. But I think from the manager's point of view, I think he'll feel that since the October international break, he couldn't have got much more out of these players. Yeah, I, f- I think the last week's been key because it's all been rosy. It's been great, been winning games since obviously the deduction, but. Since the Spurs game, the fans have seen a bit of an uplift. Normally, if you get beat away from home against Spurs, 2-0 down in the first 20, heads drop, but the players really fought back. We were unlucky not to get anything out of that game. Absolutely. And then the same with City, the first half. I thought it was going to be one of them nights at Goodison, but it weren't to be. But again, if no, if no one come out the ground that disappointed, to be honest, like we had to go. We know our identity now. It's not the players don't like throw one in like they used to at times. Like They're always up for it. They're always fighting for it. But I think the Wolves games are interesting one because they they decide that are inconsistent. I think they've won seven and lost eight. Mm. The mid table from the eleventh, obviously off the back of a four one win. But at the same time, I think of Wolves have they're a bit of a it's a bit of a nothing club. Like they're never really achieving that much. That's no offense to any Wolves fans, by the way. But they don't really achieve that much. It's a bit. It's not an intimidating place to go for me. But like last season was vital against Wolves. Mina scored like a ninety nine minute um, equaliser and it kept us up. But I don't think it is the end of a run. I think this week's just added to the self-belief of the squad. I wouldn't shock me. I just mean more the time. I mean, what I mean is because there isn't another league game now. for Everton play this one and they don't play another league game then until the 14th. And then yeah. there isn't another league game then until the 30th. That's, I mean that more than the idea of 
the, the momentum will, will die. I just yeah. mean that basically there's two weeks between the next two league games either side, if you see what I mean. Yeah. We've got the FA Cup tie away against Palace in between as well, I think, like, when we play away, I feel a lot more confident, like as the stats would suggest, like than when we play at home. It's almost like when teams come to attack us, that's when we're at our best, we can counter-attack. But when we've got to go somewhere or they come to us and we've got to put the emphasis on the game, we really, really struggle, I think. But it's an interesting fix here. I think with him, the other thing he's he's really done, Luke, is he's, he's backed, he's man, both managed performers and he's backed performers as well. I think you can praise all four of the back four uh, the other night, but also I think in general three of them uh, consistently, the two centre-halves and Mikalenko have been excellent for him. He's got the best out of them. He's got the best out of McNeil. Decore, I thought, was a real miss the other night against City. I think if he's on the pitch first half, there's a fair chance that when it goes one, it goes two. I thought that was the point where Everton missed him in there as well. But that said, you know, I've mentioned there McNeil, and he's been managing Calvert-Lewin really, really cleverly. He's very much got the best out of his better players very, very consistently. Yeah, he has, but it, it is a gaping hole. That number 10, it's it's a real dilemma. I think he said in his press conference yesterday that uh, Decore's touch and go, so... I doubt he'll start, but he put Gomez there against City and Gomez was great against Spurs and some of our fans on Twitter are talking about how good he was and I, you just know you're not going to get the consistency from him. I just don't rate him at all as a footballer. But um, we missed the core, right? And then you're, you're adding Gomez into that mix. Dan Juma comes on, doesn't really have much of an impact. Impact He hasn't had much of an impact the whole season, to be honest. So I think that number 10 is an issue and personally, I'd move Onana forward. He's not in the best form at the moment. He had an unlucky one against um, City with the handball, but I think I'd move Onana forward and maybe drop Gomez back in next to James Garner because Adisa Garner is out injured as well. I think the midfield's an awkward one, to be honest. It looks as though if there was one area that needs clear improvements, it is the heart of that midfield, which is odd to say because there is a couple of really good performers in there, but it looks to me like he lacks a linchpin. He could just do with sort of knowing, right, this lad plays in this position every single game and he hasn't got that because he's been moving Garner around, as you say. You now want him to move Onana around. Gay is coming towards the end of his career, full stop, and I think you see that in performances every now and again. I feel as though if there's one area, because I feel like he's got his centre-half linchpins, he knows who his goalkeeper is, he knows what he's doing with McNeil, he knows what he's doing at left-back, he's got the left side sorted, he knows what he wants to do with centre-forwards, and it, it depends on Calvert-Lewin's fitness. It just all feels a little bit like he just doesn't quite have, and this is what the Everton midfield's going to be this week, which I think is what he, he had with his best sides at Burnley, for instance, when he had Stevens at four. I think that's something that we've got to contend with, though, because Felwell uh, come out this week and said we're not really going to be doing much business yep. in January. So I think that is just keeping the players fit, to be honest. When Decore's back, it's fine. Garner, Onana, Decore is my first choice, personally. I think Garner Gay just hasn't been the same player since he returned from PSG, but Decore, it's pivotal for him, just for the whole style of playing, getting you up the pitch and just the unpredictability of him, really. I think with Gomez... It, it's not that he's not fit, he's, he just doesn't have that turn of pace that maybe a Decore does. He's more of a, a traditional player, where Decore doesn't know what he's going to do himself at times. I think that confuses the opposition. But I think, as you said, then about the, the striker, Beto started against City, and although he, he works hard, like, I love him. Like He's one of the players, he's come from Portugal, and he said, he said he's an Everton fan and that. But um, like Calvert-Lewin, he needs someone to challenge him, and I think Beto isn't really challenging him. Calvert-Lewin knows that he's, he's the man, he's the number one, but... I don't. He hasn't scored. I think he hasn't scored in eight, nine, something like that. But so he, he needs to. He needs to pull his finger out. Really, yeah. Um, Wolves give you chances, Beth. You know, all the way through the season, they haven't kept a single clean sheet at home, with the exception of the game against Burnley, uh, who are the sort of side you keep a clean sheet at home against, as we've we've earlier discussed. So that means that Forest have scored against them. Chelsea have scored against them. Newcastle have. Brighton beat them four-one. Uh, even though they beat City and Tottenham, both score. Villa score. Liverpool score three against them. 
I think this is this is the intriguing part of this game for me because I think there's been sides that I haven't played away from home who've acted like, no, we'll definitely keep you at arm's length and then they've been a bit surprised. I actually think Wolves will take Everton deadly seriously. Yeah, I think I think Wolves are the sort of side that, that if you if they stay in the game, which they've been very good at doing lately, then you know, it gets to sort of the the 60, 70 minute mark and they really sense an opportunity. I remember watching that that Tottenham game and they were obviously one nil down. I think Brennan Johnson had put Tottenham ahead pretty early on and then they get a stunning equaliser through um I think it was Sarabia, wasn't it? And and then they go on and win the game. And I think um, you know, obviously Luke said Molyneux maybe not the most intimidating place to go, but I think sort of it can be if the if the game dictates that you know, if it if it's, you know, a nervy end or um but yeah, I think they definitely they definitely give chances. Um I think they are dangerous on on the counter attack and yeah, it's an interesting it is an interesting one because I think Everton have been excellent on the road this season and um I definitely think Wolves will will be very much aware of that. Um I think they're obviously going in, you know, off the back of a really big win for them as as well on the road. So um they should be full of confidence. Um but yeah, interested to see how, how that plays out. There's um Everton ter- terrific from attacking set pieces, John, uh, also this season. Brentford sit 15th, beat at home by Everton. Palace 16th, beat at home by Everton. Forest 17th, beat at home by Everton. Burnley 19th, beat at home by Everton. Uh, a 2 all with Sheffield United, where in real time, Everton looked the better side. It's something that Dice again, if you look back at his Burnley teams, they were good at this. This was what they'd do home and away. They'd look at the sides who were towards the bottom of the table. They're the games that we target. That's where we get our points. They've been doing that so far this season. I think the set pieces could prove to be quite decisive in this one. And I think Everton will back that they're the bigger side than Wolves. Yeah, he's like like Luke says, they've settled on the identity now, haven't they? And, and you know, Dice, you know, is I think he's got like a decent group of footballers. You know, they'd, they'd like to add more. You know, Luke was saying before, you know, if they could do something in the transfer window, it'd be good. But I think you look at. I think I think you look at Everton against the teams around them, albeit they're in a slightly false position because of the um, points deduction. But you look at them compared to not just the three the three promoted teams, but also you know the, the likes of Forest. I just think they've got they've got a, a, one or two more better footballers, and I think Dyche's you know not just it's not just about the sort of identity. It's it's finding ways of of getting the best out of key players or getting the best out of certain players who. Who who can who can hurt opposition? And then looking at things at like marginal gains. Okay, where can we get things from? And, and that set pieces as well. And and it's not always, you know, the most eye catching way to play football. And it's not going to get you. I don't know, you know, fifteen hundred words in La Masa or something. Fucking hell, have you seen what they're doing out in in, in Merseyside? Uh, do you know what I mean? But it is. It's about being effective in in the games like you say, Neil. Where where they, where they're going to get points and and where where they can get points. And but that's just what makes the, the Wolves game a little bit tricky because. It is a bit of a thankless task playing against Wolves, really, because no one's ever coming out to say, "Oh, do you see they beat Wolves? Fucking hell, do you know what I mean?" Because, like, because <laughs> because of the status of the club, are they? The other Luke says, but I can never remember Liverpool having an easy game against them. Um, you know, they're always a bit of a pain. There's times where you know they, they keep the ball well, and so you know when you're trying to counter attack, like like ever like ever to do, like what Luke was describing, they sort of start a play. You know, you know, bringing them on and sort of hitting them. But if a team keep the ball well, you you you've got less opportunities to sort of do that. Really, they'll sometimes have ten minutes where you just can't get out against them, and you're like, fucking hell, what, who, who are we playing against here? Um, but then they will give you chances, and like you say, you know, the, those clean that clean sheet record sort of speaks for itself. And so, 
I can see all three results in this, but but either way, I don't think there's you know I mean winning's great, isn't it? But it's not like a, it won't be like sort of a statement thing. It'll just be like oh yeah, Everton have won again, but and that's just the way it goes in these games. But listen, you take it, you take the points, take the points how they come. Yeah, I don't think I think there's a perception of Deitch and maybe Everton now we've nicked results away from home, but I don't think we have. No, nope. the one that we may have nicked was West Ham away early in the season, won one nil. But the other games we've dominated the games like like Burnley away. There could have been a lot more Forest away. You like, murdered we, Brentford. Yeah, we, 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 it's not. It's because we don't have that huge possession stats. It doesn't mean we're not dominating the game. I read something this week that so many teams just play now. Nothingness. It's just possession for possession sake. Unless you're a great team, not many teams do it well. City, Brighton do it really well. I even think we've seen with Liverpool. You change your style a little bit. It's more possession based, and it's just a bit like what? Why are we keeping the ball if we're not going to do anything with it? But I think that's what Dyke has like implemented. Like he doesn't like just having the ball for having the ball's sake. We're very efficient with the ball, and you see we we take a lot of shots as well. If someone not dying out in the game, and I, I just really enjoy it at the moment. I really enjoy watching the team. Excellent. Um, Forest versus Man United at the half past five. Um, Man United were wonderfully rubbish against Villa. Beth. I love them, you know. Uh, genuinely, I love them. Uh, every every silver lining has a cloud. Um, the the at some point they'll make me feel daft. At some point, I'll regret all this. Uh, I love their endlessness in sixth. Uh, I love the idea that Villa could have scored immediately after every single goal. Me and, I love that me and John watched it and we both went, pleased for Hoyland there. <laughs> no, oh my God, I can't believe Manchester United have scored. As I say, at some point our lives will change and it won't feel like that anymore. But within every show of strength, there is a demonstration of weakness. And here comes away at Nottingham Forest, half past five between Christmas and New Year. Uh, the show of strength coming back against Aston Villa and there's a thing in the back of my mind which says they might just run into one here against Forest. Yeah, I think it's sort of a, a similar one to Chelsea, isn't it? You, you don't know which Man United's going to turn up and I also just don't think they have a distinctive style of play. I mean, I saw a lot of United fans on Twitter after after that game and they'd sort of clipped up, I think, the build-up to... I think it was the Ganacho goal that got ruled out and it was it was a lovely passage of play. It was a really nice move and, you know, a lot of fans were saying, oh, well, people saying Ten Hag doesn't have a style of play, this is it. And it's like, yeah, but if you're doing it for 30 seconds in every other game, it's not, it's not a style of play, is it? It's just a, a good move that's come off, so... Yeah, I just think I, I I I get why fans are back in Ten Hag in the sense that you know he's got a decent record and it's not worked for them sacking managers. I think the players, you know, are very good at, at getting managers sacked at Manchester United and have been in recent years. Um, but I just I just don't really see them going anywhere under him. I just I was saying to Luke before I just think he's got the charisma of a brick, and I think if you're a player and you need someone to give a rousing team talk, I just don't think he's the man. Um, and I think Forrest are obviously coming into it off the back of, it, of a huge win. I mean, Chris Woods turning into it was know, unbelievable. Ronaldinho, wasn't it was he? absolutely unbelievable. It, 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 I had to laugh his post-match interview, and I think the, the interviewer said to him, "Well, the second goal it wasn't a, a trademark Chris Wood finish," and he went, "That's a bit harsh." <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, it wasn't. Um, but I think. Forest have got some decent players and, you know, Gibbs White are quite like Alanga, who obviously was sort of hit and miss, wasn't he, at United, but decent enough player. But yeah, I, I could see Forest certainly making life very difficult for them. And I think, I think Luke said Chelsea a moments FC and it sort of feels like United are that this season. You know, they have players who can bail them out. Bruno Fernandes, probably the biggest one, Ganacho as well. Rashford, even though he's not been in particularly great form. So it's whether those players can sort of carve open a big moment. But yeah, I think it'll be a, a tough game for them. Alanga's going to be up for it as well, yeah. isn't he? You can, you, can, you can tell. And those players that you mentioned, um, 
you know, the, I think all of them, they seem to enjoy playing together as well. They remind me a little bit of West Ham a few years ago when, when it just looked fun to, to play there. And, you know, it was, you know, it was, you know, it wasn't the best team. You know, it was it was just before they sort of got good, really West Ham, but they just looked like a lot of fun. And it was like a group of, you know, fairly young players or or in some cases just players who, who were maybe a little bit older, um, like Lingard, who was, was just going to be young and new and forever, but wasn't. But, at, you know, at that time at Man United, where there's no, and suddenly he's just playing every week. He's playing with these other lads who were on his wavelength. And when Forrest are good and they were, they were good against Newcastle, albeit, you know, Newcastle really struggled, they reminded me a little bit of that West Ham side really where it's just it's not just sort of good individual players but but they're on a similar wavelength to each other they're enjoying playing football with each other and I think when, when you're enjoying playing with your, your teammates certainly from an attacking point of view you've just got that bit more in the step you're just more likely to make that run because you feel like your, your mate's going to find you or whatever and yeah I, I, I enjoyed them against and I've enjoyed them quite a few times, you know, this season. I feel like that, you know, Cooper's maybe had hard lines a little bit, but I know there was other things, you know, going on, and and, and you know, just never quite click with the chairman or whatever, which can which can happen sometimes. But I always felt like there was a as a good team there, and and yeah, I think I think it'll be an interesting one this against 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 Manchester United, and you know, Manchester United will have the sort of the confidence of the last game but whether it's a bit of a false confidence because like I said I still thought they were crap uh, whether that's a bit of a false confidence and they might get stuck against Forest, it wouldn't surprise me at all do some numbers dead interesting so chances uh, expected goals uh, created opportunities created best than 0.25 xg so where the, the, the numbers say there's a 1 in 4 chance of scoring Aston Villa 26 Arsenal 23 Liverpool 30 Manchester City 23 Everton 29 uh, Brighton and Hobart 22 uh, Chelsea 39 uh, which came as a shock to me well, uh, West Ham United 25 Tottenham Hotspur 25 Newcastle United 40 massively skewed by one game against Sheffield United by the way the Newcastle United won but it is still at 40 guess what Man United is 10 10 any advances on 10 13 13 I'd expect it a bit higher so 15 maybe 16 yeah and that is it's such a marked difference Luke you're poorest there of all the sides I've named, and it isn't the same as whether or not you're attacking well. You know, some sides like a certain type of chance, etc., etc. Brighton's at 22 is the is the next lowest of all the sides I've just named, and I've named over half the league. And United's are that low. To Beth's point about the passage of play, what does a Manchester United goal look like? We know what Manchester United fans want a Manchester United goal to look like, but Manchester United themselves don't know what a Manchester United goal looks like week in week out. I think a Man United goal is just sheer panic, and there's never a there's never like a way of there's never a process. It's it's just like a ball falls to someone. Like like um, Hoyland's goal, a ball falls to me and it's a first time scores. There's never a build up to it or it's Fernandez has to be at, at the heart of it or Garnacho. It's I don't know what to expect from them. I think Tenag is just you've run out of ideas if he ever had any ideas to be honest. But I think I've seen this fixture before. I think second home game under Nuno, I think, yeah. Um I think he's a great fit for Nottingham Forest. I think they're a similar club to Wolves. They're, they're, that, like, they're, they're big enough for him, but they're not too small as well. And they're a mid-table. They should really be a mid-table team. And I, I think he could get them up there. And he's I got good players. I, I, you know, to, to John's point before, he's got good players. I like the centre-halves. I like the wide forwards. I think you can make enough out of the lads who can play at full-back, if you see what I mean, to, to make it work. I'm not saying the world beaters. He's just got to sort of sort the shape out, I think. I you know I, I really like hudson Adoy. I'm surprised of his career trajectory when he first came through. I thought there's a real footballer. He appreciates the game really, really well. And of course, there is the big man. I think I love, the, I think the, the first goal in this one is pivotal. Yeah. It's similar to the game United played against us at Goodison where they score early and then you just can't get back in. 
because the game plan's gone. But if Forest score first, that the atmosphere's up half five, New Year's Eve, it, it's just it's one of them where you think, yeah. You play Man United today if you want to play them. Uh, it is a good time to play United. I think. What I'm going to ask for a prediction. I don't only do predictions. What do you think? On this I think one? Forest will win. I think Forest will win as well. I For- think Forest win. Yeah. Two one Forest. My word. Four going for Nottingham Forest. <laughs> uh, pin that on the dressing room wall. Ten Hag. Uh, that's what the Anfield rapper saying. Is James Roach on Bournemouth uh, best team in Europe? And it is John Gibbons for the Anfield rap with an intake courtesy of football prizes, and they've got another fantastic competition for you to try and win this week. It is a signed and framed Trent Alexander Arnold shirt. Uh, that is the main prize, uh, but there is also fourteen more instant win prizes as well. So what happens is you buy a ticket, you get a number, and some of those are allocated to some more fantastic prizes as well Uh, some more stuff signed by Trent Alexander-Arnold so you've got a really fantastic chance of winning because there is only 299 tickets and they cost just £3.95 so why not enter this week maybe you'll be lucky maybe you'll get a fantastic late Christmas present for yourself or for someone else as well Uh, footballprizes.co.uk forward slash product forward slash Trent hyphen signed hyphen shirt footballprizes.co.uk forward slash product forward slash Trent hyphen signed hyphen shirt or just go to the football prizes website search for liverpool and is the first one uh, that comes up so good luck it is the signed trent shirt uh, in built tv showing some of his greatest moments as well it's in a lovely frame some nice pictures of him being used as well and do let us know if you win uh lots of you do manage to win these on football prizes and we always like to know if an amphio app person uh, managed to win so do let us know but best of luck and thanks to football prizes for partnering with us again joined by james roach liverpool are top of the league they've won four of the last six arsenal are second in the league they've won four of the last six aston villa are third in the league three of the last six tottenham hotspur fifth in the league three of the last six everton sits 17th as it stands obviously with the points deduction they've won four of the last six there is only one team in the premier league who has won five of the last six games they've played it is Bournemouth. James Roach, how have Bournemouth become the best team in Europe? It's easy, isn't it? Just uh, <laughs> <laughs> just things finally clicking into place, I guess. It's mad. It is absolutely mad. I said to you last time, didn't I? I think if we do all right on that little run of Palace, Villa, Man U, I think we're going to have a great December. And yeah. um, never in my wildest dreams did I believe that we would get seven points out of that little trio um but it's just i think i think the confidence that we got out of doing so well in those three games because villa was one all uh sorry two all and we should have we should have won we really should have won we created better chances more chances than villa and outplayed them in my view and then palace was was easy man U was really easy and then ever since it's just yeah we, we just seem to be um playing incredibly well and blowing teams out it's not like it's particularly tight we're just beating them comfortably I was about to say the key the key part of this and it's, it's in the numbers is that fundamentally all those games that you're talking about that Bournemouth have won they have deserved to win there's a little bit of a trappy thing against Manchester United because one or two of their half chances get get overrated but the truth of it was to the eye test Bournemouth are the better side but the underlying numbers have Bournemouth emphatically being the better side against Newcastle, against Sheffield United, against Aston Villa, against Crystal Palace, against Forest, and then lastly against Fulham. This is this is no accident. Bournemouth are winning games by the the amount of goals they deserve to win them by. Yeah, and everyone will talk about the front four because they are they are deadly. You know that that Solanke is is playing the best he ever has. He looks like scoring every time he gets the ball. 
Um, the wingers and the guy sitting behind Solanke, absolutely brilliant. But I don't think we'd be where we were or where we are without Cook and Christie and that deep line midfield role. Both of them are just playing extraordinarily well. They put them in a tight position with five players around them and they'll find their way out and they're looking out for each other as well. They're always there for each other. And they just that that role just seems to suit both of them beautifully well. They're real harrying midfielders. They love getting stuck in. They love running up and down. And this this system of Iriolas just seems to suit the two of them beautifully. That then allows that attacking four to just create carnage. And it's why we're beating teams, I think, because they're just setting the, the platform and they're all running scared of that, of you- that front four. Just on that, I want to talk about. I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about. You've sort of got ahead of me there on Christie and Cook. It was Scott last time out. Yeah. Uh, I was intrigued. I just happened to see uh, Lerma play for Palace against Chelsea last night, and and he did okay through the game. But it, it reminded me that he was there for Bournemouth. But he's the sort of midfielder who sits. And whilst Christie and Scott or Christie and Cook are deeper, obviously, than that front four. What strikes me when I see Bournemouth is. It's the shuttling up and down. They come up with the whole team. So not it's not like one of them sits just in front of the back four. When you're on the front foot, they're absolutely part of penning teams in. And when you're on the back foot, they protect the back four. But what they don't do is just either sit in one place. They're always on the move, the two of them. That's right. They're higher energy than Lerma. Lerma yeah. was, was a sitter. You know, he would sit there. He would spray it sideways. He never really caught the eye, but he'd get stuck in. He'd win the ball back and he'd play it sideways for someone. But those two, yeah, the, the runs they go on, they're both really good ball carriers. Yeah. So they'll pick it up, they'll get themselves out of a pickle and they'll carry the ball forward. And then they've got four, if not five options to spray it out to. It, it's high risk, I guess. And that's why sometimes we're falling foul and we're conceding goals because actually we've often got six men right up there as well as the, as well as the fullbacks that push on as well. So we, we're exposing Zabani and Senesi at centre-half. But they're standing up to the task as well, to be fair. And Neto as well, who'd started the season fairly dodgy for him, is playing well now. So it's just a culmination of 11 players on the pitch at the minute just playing their not only their role really well, but you know individually playing with a bag of confidence. That And I think the other thing is they're not, um, even against Nottingham Forest, because that was a tough game, you know, and, and when you go against 10 sometimes it's it's hard isn't it but yeah. but they they dug in and they just weren't satisfied with the two all draw you could see right at the end they were up against it but they just weren't they weren't having it they were like no no we are winning this game and they just keep on going it's brilliant to watch at the minute yeah the other thing that sort of struck me last couple of times i've seen a team sheet uh from a bournemouth point of view uh is the use of Uatra, uh that he's he slotted him into left back uh, at the minute, is he is he into left back pressed into service because there isn't anyone else, or is he uh, or is he at left back because he feels as though he'll do well for me there? Uh, pressed into service because Lloyd Kelly's injured, yep. uh, Milos Kerkaj injured, so I, I feel for Mepham a little bit because I sort of I was wondering if he'd bring him in and push Sanessi out at left back, but I think he's thinking we'll have Watara's pace. He's yeah. he's not a defender in any way, shape, or form, but he's doing all right there. But it but it's out of necessity for sure. Uh, and you mentioned there the centre half. You mentioned the idea of maybe using Senesi out there. Senesi's excellent last few times I've caught Bournemouth. Uh, first to everything. Also a real threat in the opposition penalty area. He's not the biggest centre half, but he seems to be one of those centre halves where the ball 
from opposition corners appears to arrow towards him much of the time. Yeah, he's one of those old-fashioned, sort of gritty Argentinian centre-backs. You know, he's like a throwback from the 90s. I can't remember if he wears a headband, but in my head he wears a headband. He he should. He really should. And, uh, yeah, he's one of of them, yeah. He'd just bleed all over the pitch. (laughs) He's brilliant. He is, you're right. He can be a little bit... Can be a bit sluggish at times off the mark. He can be a little bit clumsy at times, but yeah, he's always right in amongst it, and he's yeah, he's he's getting better every game as well, which is good. The the game at the weekend, the, given the way you play, I've noticed that. I think that the, on the whole, and there's always one that you can't do, but I feel as though the the league has been pretty sound with these fixtures and with the TV moves because when I say sound, where I mean is teams have tended to play. Uh, against each other on the, the, the sorry, the, the, on the play the previous game on the same day when yeah. they're then playing against each other. So there's very very few sides who I think have got a real clear nailed on advantage. I think Bournemouth are one of them. Given the way you play, having a two day advantage on Tottenham Hotspur before this one on New Year's Eve, it is quite significant, isn't it? Because Bournemouth are so high energy and so high tempo that they'll be looking at this one against Spurs and thinking. We can we can harry and the way Spurs want to play as well. We can harry these all over the pitch, and we'll have the legs to do so. I think it'll be. I think this one in particular is going to be fascinating because we played Spurs early in the season when we hadn't quite clicked, and they were going. They were going on a real run, weren't they at the start? Yeah. they were looking really good, and they outplayed us and won comfortably. It was only two 0 but it was kind of a we didn't play bad, but they played well. But if we can play like we we are doing at the minute against them, they're unpredictable. They're back to sort of being a bit Spursy, and I don't mean that disrespectfully to them. They are just being a bit in and out. And I think that yeah, we could have a real go at them. We beat them last season, but I don't think we can read into that too much because totally different system. There's quite a few different players, but they, but they were you know a lot of them will be reminded of that. Wataro scored the winner in the last minute. He will want to play against Spurs because it, it, it will love being there again and so I think the positivity from last season will be there and also obviously the run that we're on so yeah I, I quite fancy we'll give them a, a real good roast You're, I'm going to give you the first time I've asked this question do you also want to because then there's a seven day gap do you want to see him take the FA Cup deadly seriously because it strikes me there's then 15 days after that until you play Liverpool there's a seven day gap between those two and at the minute I sort of look at Bournemouth and I do feel not that far away from the sentence of they could beat anyone. And I understand why in some years sides who are going to finish in the bottom, like likelier to finish in the bottom half, have the attitude of, well, not worry about the FA Cup. Sometimes there's more trouble coming from behind. Sometimes as well, there is just a feeling of, well, what happens if we get Man City away? The thing about this Bournemouth side is I feel as though if, if they got Man City away in the fifth round, they could get something. As, as, as mad as that is, they could get something the way they play. It needs Man City to have an off day, a couple of injuries maybe, things not quite go right for them, but they genuinely could get something. So do you want to see him go for it? I think now that, I think in previous years, I'd have said, you know, no, play the fringe players, make sure everyone's fit. You know, if we can go on a run, great. If not, so what? I think the fact that the 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 threat of relegation is practically gone now, 25 points, you know, we've probably only got to get 10, haven't we? I think it's going to be quite a low... Um, yeah. I think it's going to be quite a low bar this year. So 35 is probably going to be safe. So we're practically safe already. So 
I think we'll be safe by March time. So I would love us to have a go in the FA Cup because we're almost in that area now, aren't we, of West Ham and Brighton where we're thinking, okay, there's an outside chance of Europe here. And West Ham, you know, won the Europa Conference, didn't they, last year? So, So if we can have a right good go in the FA Cup, then who knows there's an outside chance of, of Europe? Because if we carry on like we are doing, which which I don't think we will, by the way, I don't I don't think we can keep this form up till the end of the season, we would be in Europe. So why not? Why not have a go in the FA Cup? Totally. Uh, excellent stuff from James. Uh, let's get back over. Always great to speak to James. Um, North London clubs, John Stitch by television moves. Lovely to see. <laughs> Happy? Is, is is that is that how you're feeling? I think they'd be massively. I'm not saying it'll play, it'll play out that way, but I think yeah, they'd be massively stitched. So basically, you're in a situation where uh, Arsenal and uh, Arsenal and Spurs both played the 28th, and their opponents both played the 26th. For me, that is being stitched by television moves. They played each other. Actually, Bournemouth beat Fulham three 0 so they play each other on the 26th. And now Arsenal and, and Spurs have only got two days recovery. There, there is an argument, isn't there? That there should be a little bit more consistency. And, and like they're the two being stitched. Everyone else does a ton of consistency. So us and Newcastle have got the same rest. West Ham and Brighton have got the same rest. Forest and United have got the same rest. Uh, Luton and Chelsea. Chelsea have been done by a day, but you know Luton need a helping hand. Everyone else has had about the and the others are all three o'clock Saturdays. If you see what I mean, so I think they're all pretty much the same. Uh, there's a little bit of of Wolves might have a no. Wolves play the same day uh, as Everton in there as well. Uh, Sheffield United have got a day on 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 City, but you know again give them a helping hand. Yeah, you take me. I think they've tried to work hard on this, but someone's got a cop for it. Also, Arsenal have more recovery time than Liverpool after that massive game before the one against West Ham United. So you know you can you can cry on about it as much as you want, but that's the reality of it there. So yeah, I'm very. But I think they have been stitched in this instance. If I'm now Arsenal and Spurs off the back of the results that the two of them have just had, I'm a bit like we could do with another couple of days here, boys. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only solution is that everyone sort of plays on the same days. But then, like I said before, you know, we like watching the games every night and stuff like that. And <laughs> the teams do the deals in the summer, don't they all do them for three years and everyone slaps themselves on the back and then the reality hits them and they go, oh, fucking hell. And you're like, well, you could have put in the small print, but you were more asked about how much money you were getting. And so it was, it, it's that sort of situation. So, the, you know, you, you dance with the devil and, and all that. And, and this is the this is the, the situation. Like you say, it sort of goes both ways. I think for Arsenal, you know, do you want a game so, so close after the sort of disappointment you want to sort of put it behind you? That's sometimes what, 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 players say but I think in this instance you maybe would rather have the sort of you know the extra break and, and the extra extra rest but but this is the situation you know we started off the this this whole show talking about you know it's been a bit of a theme of the show really is <laughs> is how well you deal with the situations that are in front of you there's nothing you can do about it it's laid out there it's it you've known about it for not necessarily since the start of the season you know but 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 certainly since the the the, the TV moves in in, in what in November would it have been yeah. and so you know, over a month to sort of plan for it. That's the kind of thing that managers have to plan for, and and there's still team, there's still you know, from an Arsenal point of view, I, I still feel like it's a game that they should win. Paul Mason had them winning all four, didn't he? They went up on Sky, went Arsenal, they're going to win all four, win the league, lose the first one. That's really funny. funny. I know, really funny. Um, you know, he's having a nice time. Though, oh right? yeah, yeah. You'd be delighted uh, by by most turn of events. Fulham first. Um, Jimenez is back. Which is a big deal, I think, for Fulham. Luke, uh, they've, I think they missed him. Uh, I think also we'll see the way he is off the back of the red card because he's had obviously real issues getting his form back. They've missed him in part because he, he had three or four games, starting with the one at Anfield where he was absolutely brilliant. 
I think Fulham in general always go under the radar. I think they play nice football. Silver always has had teams that play nice football and um, they've been scoring goals at home. Did he score, did he score five twice in a row? Against, yes. Yeah. Williams still, look, I read an article about Willian. He's still a player he used to be. He's great. I really enjoy watching Willian. I think you've got loads of players. I think Robinson as well, he really impressed me in the cup game against yeah, Dusty. Yeah, well against Liverpool. You've just got loads of solid Premier League players. You've got a nice mix of experience and youth and... You've got Pereira in midfield, Polina, just a nice balanced side. And I think it could be a really tough game for Arsenal, especially off the back of the defeat against West Ham. They look a little tired, uh, I think, in the game against West Ham Arsenal. They look mentally tired as much as anything else. And I think that's a little bit that goes under the radar. You would have expected them, for instance, to have, you know, at some point, absolutely kitchen sinked it out to West Ham. And whilst, in the end, the expected goals for Arsenal goes through the roof, they don't create a single meaningful chance from 70 minutes onwards within the game. And that, to me, suggests a level of, we're just finding this all a little bit hard. And I think within that, there's this insecurity, slight insecurity with the attacking options. When the game is going their way, those attacking options work really, really well. But I think they struggle a little bit when the game's going against the Arsenal to get the best out of their attacking options. Yeah, I agree. I think you know it just shows you doesn't it, how fickle football is because after after the Liverpool game, you know there, were, there was a lot made of, of Arsenal getting a point, and I saw an article and I think the headline was along the lines of you know Arsenal show the the they navigate the storm or something like that, really sort of hyping them up. And and I get it, obviously Anfield's a difficult place to come for, for any side, but I just sort of the same as last season. I just mentally, like you say, I, I just doubt that they have what it takes to go all the way. I think they're a fantastic team. I thought they played really well against Liverpool. I think they have players who can produce moments of magic. But I also think, yeah, they, they just... It'll be interesting to see how they respond to that one because I think it, it could go one or two ways, couldn't it? I think they, they could come out against Fulham and be raring to go, set you know set the record straight, win 3-0 and, and they're back on track and back in a title race. They go back to the top. Oh, actually, no. They will go top. They will go top. They Um. So, um, yeah, so th- 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 that could happen. But equally, you know, Fulham could make it difficult for them. I'm intrigued. The Arsenal thing, I expect Arsenal to show strength. If there's one thing I expect Arsenal to show, John, is strength through games. I'm just, I'm intrigued by. The thing that struck me in comparison to other sides, City, Liverpool, maybe even to an extent Aston Villa, though the managers of those three clubs can constantly twist they can constantly go, right, this sub, now it's different. Oh, that didn't work. This sub, now it's different. And Or if you're Guardiola, maybe a little bit more, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to switch his position there. And that's now going to be different as well. You're going to have a different challenge over there and we're going to play this way. I think there's a, there is a problem for this Arsenal side and I thought they showed a ton of strength at Anfield. I just didn't think they were going to score apart from, from a set piece. And I think that this is where they, you suddenly they run into West Ham who love set pieces, give us set pieces. You want to put the ball in the box, <laughs> you watch us headed away. But it's West Ham's second choice centre half partnership, this. Yeah. You know, and they're not they're not troubled with a significant opportunity. When the game's gone 2-0, there's one little passage uh, where he just gets his head on it just before it gets to the 70-minute mark in there. But apart from that, you know, West Ham were able to sort of go, it's fine, you want to keep doing this, you keep doing this. And I think that that's ultimately Arsenal's undoing. I think if they'd have had a better couple of subs at Anfield, they could well have created a couple of opportunities in the last 15 minutes. They didn't have them there. They didn't have them against West Ham. And if Fulham can hang in there and make it horrible for them, I just don't think Arsenal got that many solutions as it stands. 
No, and, and I was surprised how easy it was for West Ham sort of last 20 minutes. I think the, the, the crowds are funny. You lost your house, didn't you, gambling the uh, other way? Well, yeah, no, no, I mean, not quite. I'd, I'd seven bets on it at Arsenal uh, at some point, but they weren't massive ones. Uh, if, if my wife's listening, uh, she absolutely will not be. Uh, but, um, but, yeah, but it's, 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 I was surprised how, how, how sort of easy you know it was for West Ham. I think there's a couple of things that play. I just don't think tactically they, they played it sort of that well. I didn't really feel like Arsenal ran out of steam physically. It, it, it wasn't. It didn't feel like it was a fitness thing for me. It felt more like a they were just doing the wrong thing. And listen, we've all seen our teams do that. Why are you putting that ball in? They love that. Yeah. You know what I mean? We, and we've all seen you know our, our teams you know do that really. Stop where, shooting. Yeah, cetera, yeah. We get or, or just putting balls into the box to meet and drink for 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 them. Really, they were doing sort of a lot of that, but. They also sort of looked a little bit blunt as well, and I think it's 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 a forward line, and I think this is what you alluded to, Neil. It's a forward line that sort of looks to have been built around sort of a single purpose, really. And Martinelli's caused us problems. Saka, you know, was having a really good season. Jesus, I'm still not sure he's in an elite level number nine. And then Enketia just looks like Jesus, but not quite as good. And so you've got this sort of situation where. You know, you know, and I'm not saying you know every team needs a Chris Wood to sort of throw on, you know, necessarily, but at least you know, look at Liverpool's forward options; they're very different from each other, aren't they? And so, you know, Gakpo is very different from a Darwin. You know, Diaz sort of is is his own thing, and and also, you know, they're, they're able to. To, to play in sorts of different ways and so the manager's able to look at it and he's got them of them all fit you know Jot is his own player as well if he's got his own fit and say well look I think you know we need we need more of this type of forward now so you're not just refreshing for the point of view of, of fresh legs or to give them something you know you know to, to give giving you impetus you're giving the, the opposition something different to think about and I think that that sort of seems to be a bit missing and also maybe just a little bit of know-how like maybe just a little bit of a it's still a team that haven't won anything and they bought in Declan Rice and he's you know, looks a really good player. But apart from the confidence league, he's not won anything either. So it's not like, you know, being in the, you know, the, this player, you know, he's expected, I feel a bit sorry for him sometimes, how he's expected to come in and source anything. And he was, he's probably looked to go to, to you know, you normally go from West Ham to Arsenal to, and, and learn how to win. Well, who's he learning from? Do you know what I mean? Sort of looking around. And so we, so, so I think there was just a, there was just a bit of a panic. And like I say, the, the crowd at Arsenal is still a bit of a fragile. Well, they've done loads of work to improve the atmosphere. And that's to be commended by by the people who've sort of done that work. But I think you've still got the kind of the grumbling mm. majority of we pay the highest season tickets in in the whole of Europe, and why why are we still not sort of winning anything, and, and we're still not completely sure and not tested of sort of if we're honest. And who who wins these battles within crowds is fascinating to me because it exists in every stadium. Do you know what I mean? You've got the people who are trying to get things going and trying to be people positive, and then you've got the people who are sort of natural, quite cynical, and sort of moaners, and whoever sort of wins on the day. And and the, the positive people have been winning at Arsenal for a while, but yeah, it it, it was they were fighting a losing I battle for against West Ham. They still need a prolific goal scorer, don't they? Because I, I don't think any one of their forward line gets more than ten goals in in the Premier League this season. I think there was a stat last night. I think Jared Bowen's got more already than Martinelli and Saka combined. And I, I just think. That but, but on that, Beth, what I think is really interesting. I think you're right, but I think they they need someone who also demands chances be created because yeah. I don't think it's just as simple as who's kicking it in the goal so a really good point is including penalties Saka's expected goals is 5.5 he scored 5 uh, Gabriel Martinelli's expected goals is 2.2 he scored 2 <laughs> Arsenal in general with expected goals is 29.8 uh, non-penalty goals they've scored 30 so it, it, this isn't like oh god they're missing chances I think this is and this is back to 
he's gambled on solidity, and I think gambling on solidity is great until the point where you go one nil down in games, especially against the David Moyes style side. At which point they're happy to go. Well, you can keep being as solid as you like. Firstly, we back ourselves to get another one if it comes to it with someone like Jared Bowen or from a set piece. Also, we just don't think you're going to create an absolutely cracking chance. And back to me, another thing before on quality chances, you know, Arsenal are on 23. Now, Man City are also on 23, so it does feel a little bit false. But, you know, Liverpool, 30. Everton, 29. You know, better than 0.25 XG. And this is, for me, this is what I'm watching when I say Arsenal. A really good football team. But there needs to be someone whose job it is to be on the end of and be part of the process of creating a great chance. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, because I, I always think of them as being a, a dangerous attacking team, but if, if they're not creating the chances, then that's another another issue, isn't it, that goes beyond the forward line. It goes, maybe you look at the midfield and you say, well, who's creating the chances from midfield? I thought Erdegaard was, was decent last night, probably the best Arsenal player alongside maybe Saliba, but yeah, that is, that is interesting and... It, it, it's hard because as well, you look at who they're bringing on off the bench. They brought obviously Nketiah on, they brought Reese Nelson on, who just seems to have been kicking around there for years and never quite. He had that big moment, didn't he, last season where he scored the winner against Bournemouth late on. But other than that, not not really. So they need, yeah, it, it, I, I still think they're lacking a couple of players to, to really go on and, and win the league. For me, there's something really interesting, Luke, in, in seeing what the league is. I think the league is an enormous challenge at the minute. So let's be absolutely crystal clear. The league is a massive, massive challenge. And I think it's it's never been sort of as much of a challenge. And I think that effectively Arteta's response to it has been, we'll meet that challenge, we'll meet it full-blooded. But as I say, you can end up playing yourself into a bit of a corner. I think that I'm always a bit concerned when a team... It, a team's move is to be better at what it's already really, really good at. I think there's times that can work for you, but there's times where you can just end up in a little bit of a hole. And there isn't a single Arsenal player knocking around with an expected goals to gain better than 0.4, uh, including Ketier and He's Us in that. He's Us underperforming and Ketier overperforming a little bit. You know, Odegaard 0.1, Havertz 0.2, Saka 0.2, just getting the games in there. There's no one who's going, put the ball on the plate for me. There's no one who's demanding chances be made for them. I think there's a, still a mentality issue of saying this last season as well. I think you, you learn from the past about how to predict the future. And I think you look at City and you look at Liverpool and you can look at a Salah, you can look at a De Bruyne at Haaland and you go, yeah, you could do it today. Well, when I look at that Arsenal team, I don't. there's no one that's that guy that's going to think, yeah, I'm going to win this game for Arsenal today. Everything's very systematic and it's almost like they, they, they run out of ideas. I think in, in the opposition's box last night, they had 77 touches it's almost like they're trying to walk the ball in. They did have shots, but it's just... I just think sometimes in games, there's passages of play where you need to make a count and Arsenal always seem to have to have control. It's like they can't score goals when they're not in control. But if you look at like La Salle and De Bruyne, you think, yeah, you could eat a little moment and you could win the game. I just think Arsenal still lack that. They don't have enough winners yet anyway. Okay, uh, good to speak to James before about uh, Bournemouth. Tottenham a little bit stitched as well, the way they played last night. I think Bournemouth might win 14-0. Uh, thank you very much indeed to John, to Luke and to Beth. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And to Robbie, Rich and James. Share this with your friends. We cover every single side. We haven't even talked about Liverpool. If you subscribe to the Anfield Wrap, that will be on pre-match warm-up. You can go from there. But the game's ages away. We're going to beat Newcastle? Yeah. Uh, Liverpool going to beat Newcastle? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That'll do. Social Podcast Network.